I am very excited to share with you all this conversation that I'm having with my dear sister, Mrs. Esther Kaplan. Hi, Esther, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Yaakov. It's a pleasure to be here with you again. Are you excited for this? Uh, yeah. Nervous? A little bit. Do you know what I'm going to ask you? No clue. No clue. <laughs> so we are in the Torch Center, and this is our second conversation. The previous conversation, you may remember, occurred in your apartment in Jerusalem, and now we're in Houston, Texas, and we're having a round two discussion. Yeah, and I actually just was thinking about that it's exactly three years since our last conversation. What was it? March 2012, 2018. March 2018. So for the listeners who don't know, our family made a bar mitzvah in Houston, Texas this past Shabbos. It's a Sunday night when I'm recording this. And Esther came with her family, part of her family, to join us in our celebration. And I said, okay, it's time. It's been three years since we had our first conversation. It's time to have a round two, a redux, a sequel, a follow-up to our first conversation. And Esther so graciously agreed to that. And the subject is one that I don't think gets discussed often enough. I think most people are comfortable with it. I think most people are afraid to touch this subject. It's a very sensitive issue. It's an issue that people are just terrified and don't know how to address it, how to navigate it. I think most people are scared to broach it. No one wants to cause anyone else pain. No one wants to make anyone else uncomfortable. And therefore, I think this whole subject does not get enough sunlight, does not get discussed in the public forum enough. And therefore, we're going to do a public service and discuss it openly. And the subject that we're talking about, of course, is death and bereavement and tragedy and loss. Because Esther and her husband, AJ, lost a son, Shlomo, the most gorgeous, beautiful child I have ever seen in my life. They lost him at the age of 16 weeks. He passed away. It's, I think, technically described as SIDS. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And it's something which is so difficult to understand or to grasp or to wrestle with or to navigate or to just address in any way. It's it's something that causes so much pain and so much confusion and so many questions and so much difficulty. And we had a conversation a couple of years ago about it. And now I want to talk about it again and follow up on this. Now, what my sister and I agreed upon is that I'm going to ask all the questions that I think all the outsiders are wondering about and are terrified to ask. Should we do it like a clickbaity title? <laughs> all the questions that you were scared to ask. You know, they have those clickbaity titles on books. Should we do that, Esther? What do you say? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. So we agreed that I'm going to ask the questions. And if you're comfortable talking about it, we're just going to move on to the next question. And so be it. You ready for this? Ready or not. Here we go. So I want to first begin by discussing the last episode that we did. The last episode, we covered the basic story of what happened and how long after. It was uh, about nine months after we had lost Shlomo. After Shlomo had passed. And so it was relatively soon after that episode. It was fresh. Yeah. It was fresh. Mm-hmm. Is it still fresh? No. No. I'm definitely in a very different place as I wa- than I was then. Why did you agree to talk to me last time? <laughs> uh, it was after a very difficult summer and winter that I'd followed. I'm just going to recap. And uh, Ishlomo passed away on June 1st. It was uh, the night that Shavuos ended. Uh, it was a Thursday night. The Hebrew date was Chesivan. It was, uh, I put him to sleep before AJ came home from shul. And then less than an hour later, I went to check on him after we had made Abdullah to find him not breathing. And uh, he was buried that night. So that was June 1st. And we had spoken in March 
So, um, it was after, I would say, the most heartbreaking, terribly difficult year. And the process of grief that I was going through at the time, I think at that point I was I was able to accept it. But now that I'm holding three years later, uh, I, I do see what a gift, a gift that year of grief was. Although it's very hard for me to look back at it, I try not to visit it very often because I don't want to be there again. But I do see the power of going through the stages one at a time and letting it become a part of me because that was the only way that I was properly able to go through it. Uh, so I also agree with you that it's something that's very difficult to talk about. And a lot of people are extremely uncomfortable even hearing it. You know, asking is one, there's definitely a lot of curiosity. And I see that, I see that in people's eyes a lot more than I hear it from their mouths. Um, there's definitely a lot of wondering, but there's also, you know, people aren't sure what's gonna, what it's gonna do to you or where it's gonna put you. So that's why I think back then, getting back to your question, I felt like it was important and it's important for me to talk about it as well. So I thank you for that. You think it was uh, helpful in remediating and alleviating the pain and kind of addressing it in a formal, formal way that's uh, therapeutic in some fashion, some way. Definitely. Therapeutic is exactly the way I would describe it. Have you listened to the episode? <laughs> I listened to it once back then. And since then, actually, I haven't. And maybe it's time to hear it again. But yeah, it's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff. And um, I'm assuming this is going to be one of your questions. So I'll just, I'll just go ahead and say, say what, what I, th- Shlomo's always in my heart. He's always here. He occupies a part of it all day and all night. And, um, talking about it is I'm able to discuss it without, you know, bursting into tears, which I think is what scares everyone. Really? Is she going to start crying? I'm not going to ask. I better not ask. I don't just start crying. Usually when I talk about him, I, you know, I, we, we live it day in, day out. So it's not, I'm not at the point where I, I don't dig in emotionally every time I think about him or I talk about him. I am able to visit that place when I want to, which is also a big gift for me because in grief, I think a lot of people who do grieve or lose a loved one are scared of forgetting them or They, they don't want to move past that raw pain because they're, they feel guilty. And honestly, the one thing that I tell people who are going through a loss is that the one emotion that there's no room for is guilt. There's no room for guilt because life and death is not in our hands. It's in Hashem's hands. And we do not determine a person's death or, or life for that matter as well. It has, it has nothing to do with us and nothing we do at the end of the day has a bearing. When Hashem decides that it's time for a person to be taken, they will be. And if he decides otherwise, it will be that as well. So guilt, there's no place for. But besides for that, 
every other emotion is okay and fine and good and whatever I, I, I tell, unfortunately I've been to other mothers who've lost children at their Shiva houses and I tell them the biggest gift you could do, give yourself is to feel, to allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. Don't try to push away that emotion. Accept it and embrace it. And that's going to help you get through it. I think I got myself off a tangent here. So, so like to dwell on it and not to suppress it and to kind of feel it and that in itself, that's something you have to go through. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you talked about the stages of grief. You have to go through that. You have to suffer that terrible, awful year or else you'll never get past it. Exactly. Or you'll never, you'll always be in a crisis mode of pain and, and, and intense acute pain. Right. And, Oh, getting back to what I wanted to say originally, but before I cut myself off, is that, uh, there's, I think that people are, are scared to go through that grief because they're scared. What if I forget? What if I forget them? What? And I could promise you, you will never forget them. They are always a part of you and not, I mean, not you. I hope I don't of wish it upon anyone. A person, a person is not forgotten by their loved ones. And especially a person who's moved on to their, to the afterlife, a person who's moved on to the next world is in a very, very calm place. And they don't need a person on this world to be in pain unnecessarily. I think that the biggest gift that I could have done for Shlomo is to keep him with me, let him help me grow, but to let him go too. Because he's fine. He's good. He's in the best ever place that his neshama could be in. So I'm here. I know I'm at the point now of acceptance that I was a very, very lucky mother to have born him. And for whatever reason that I don't know, and I won't know until... It's revealed in the times of Mashiach why he was taken from us. He's always my son and I have a special place for him in my heart and I am able to pull that out and sob and remember him and miss him and yearn for him. But I'm also able to put that in a place where I don't have to fall apart. Every time I think about him and that's a gift. Do you think that, or do you know some families that haven't had that progression and they're still, they're, they're not able to compartmentalize. They're not able to kind of live a productive life and, and go back and revisit that pain and then kind of box that up and put it on the side and focus on your life and, and kind of continue. Do you know people like that? So I've, I've definitely heard of, of families that have a hard time or that they're never the same or, you know, they were ever, never able to move past that incredible pain. And the truth is, is that I feel, I feel sorry for them because grief is a terribly, again, it's a, it's terribly difficult and excruciating, I might say. But there is a process that was put into this world and it is a gift. And if people go through it in a proper way and allow it to be, there's a way to, to let it become a part of you without holding you back. So you said personally from this episode, it was helpful, it was therapeutic. Do you feel or have you encountered people that it impacted them, it moved them? What kind of feedback or reactions did you get from the original episode? Well, a lot of it came from you. I know that a lot of your listeners reached out and it was really heartwarming, really incredible how far it reached and how many people, uh, reached out and, and thanked us for it. And that was really special for me. Um, what do you think? Well, why is it special for you? Is it, is it, spe- is it special for you because it's your, it's your story that is shared. Is it special? Is it special for you because Shlomo and his story and like you said, the people are terrified that he's going to be forgotten or, or a deceased one's going to be forgotten. And the fact that 
his story gets perpetuated and people know about him, people think about him, people, people may cry about his story. Of course. Yeah. Of course. To, to know that my little life was made an impact on other people. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it definitely warms my heart and it was, it was really nice. It was really, really nice. The feedback we got and I think it, I think it helped people. What, would you, uh, would you agree? Well, I think it helped me. You know, this is something that it's terrifying. It's a terrifying thing. It's a frightening thing. And the fact that you and I could talk about it and you could teach us and you could inspire us and you could guide us of, you know, the proper ways of how to deal with this and how to navigate this. It's very helpful. And I feel like I developed a personal connection with Shlomo. Mm-hmm. I never met him. And, you know, the, but the picture of him with those striking eyes of his and the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in my life. And when I look at your other children, I can't help but see him. I just see him in them. That's amazing. Can we get to them next? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about uh, what happened to you since then. We talked three years ago and thank God your family has grown. Tell us. Yes, Baruch Hashem. Okay, so uh, I can't move on to what happened, to the continuation, thank God, of my family, uh, without mentioning what happened only a month after we spoke. Uh, AJ's sister, Elisheva, I just got engaged to a terrific boy named Yisrael Levin, and I uh, was a week before Pesach. So we had spoken after Purim. It was a week before Pesach. They had gotten engaged. And on Chalamoid uh, on Pesach, uh, they were driving back from Muncie. They had gone to visit Israel's grandparents. And they got hit by a drunk driver. And to make a very terrible story short, the car went on fire and they were both killed. Uh, so that was an enormous blow to us and obviously to our family, the Kaplan's. It seemed almost surreal and the truth is, I, I can't even say it in past tense. It seems surreal because it was kind of a little bit of a fairy tale story. Uh, the families went to the bungalow colonies in the summer together for years. And when Yisrael was 13 years old, he proclaimed that he wants to marry Elisheva Kaplan, which is not generally... <laughs> uh, that's not typical. Not, not typical. Not, yeah. We have a very diverse audience. <laughs> a lot of the audience thinks, oh, these religious Jews, you know, they have a matchmaker who agrees when they're uh, 12 or 13 that they get them married. But you say that's not typical. It's not typical. He just really, really liked her and nothing changed over the years. And my mother-in-law always said, you know how he really, you know how you know it was true love? He liked her even when she had buck teeth. <laughs> <laughs> And he came to Israel and, well, I'll just go back and say Elisheva was in our house when Shlomo died. She was in our house. She had come to us for Shavuos. She'd stayed by us. And then Israel, that Pesach, had come to learn to study in Yeshiva, in Yeshiva Smir. And he came to us almost every single week. Uh, Shabbos afternoon, he would come, hang out by us. We would talk. He had lost a brother, Ari, a year before. So we definitely had this connection of death. We had both lost someone we loved, uh, someone precious to us. And you felt like we a, got like, very close. Sorry. You felt like a kinship. Yeah. There was, there was something that we could discuss that we couldn't discuss with so many people on that 
in that way, just because we had both both lost a loved one. And um, we got very close to him. And sure enough, he went back to New York and they arranged, you know, an official date finally. And they got engaged shortly afterwards. And a week and a half later, they were gone. So what was that like for you? It was really... I wasn't sitting Shiva because I'm not blood related to Ali Shiva, but I felt like I was sitting Shiva for two people. There was Ali Shiva, my sister-in-law, who was full of life, vibrant, the kindest person. She always had a compliment for everyone, always smiling, laughing, genuine warm and Israel, who was brilliant and funny and nice and sweet and in a way them being killed was kind of made it easier to relate to the thin line between life and death. I kind of got this feeling that death is just behind a curtain and the curtain is invisible, but it's right near us. It's just such a crazy thing. <laughs> we would tell people we were really a normal family. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, the Kaplans, we're, we're a normal family. Just you like, happen. This is, this is, we're not, we're just normal. So this is. You think people thought that you're strange because of these two tragedies? It was just weird. It was kind of weird. That we the had, same family we hit again? Yeah. And it was, you know, I, I kept saying that my husband was in his twenties and he sat Shiva twice in one year for sudden circumstances. It just was so strange. So, if anything, it just made, as crazy as it sounds, it made things kind of much clearer. What, what became clear was that, that we don't understand what happens in this world and we have no way to understand it but that there must be a bigger picture. There must be things that are just beyond our capabilities of understanding and knowing. And in a certain sense, that gave us a feeling of calm. To know that we're only, we're only one chapter and a big story and whatever it is we're playing our role in the story and this is just the way it has to be so six months after Elisha and Israel passed away we thank God had a Beautiful little boy. And we named him Yisrael Shlomo. We found out that it's a merit to name a child born after a child that passed away his second name, to name the newborn after the second name, to give the second name of the newborn after the baby that passed away. Like a sibling. Right. Even though in so, general, in Judaism, we don't name two children in the same family the same name. So, Even if one passed away, so so we found out that when one child passed away, it's a merit to name the second child. <laughs> I can't <get> history. 
<laughs> I'm keeping this in, Esther. Sorry. Should we of keep course. this in? <laughs> do you remember what happened last time? We had a, we had a, last time. I can't get this. Do you remember what happened last time? What happened last time? Remember last time was, we were talking very seriously in your apartment. And like when you're in the middle of talking about something and like, I felt like I was about to cry. And you're like, there's a spider in your beard. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. And you started, you jumped. I jumped out of my seat. I jumped out of my socks. I started scratching and there was a, there was a little was spider. Yeah. We had to cut that out. I felt like we have to keep this one in. <laughs> Okay, I think that after the five attempts, people will know what I'm talking about. Can I restate it? Go for if it. If there is a child who passes and then the family has a second child, it is a merit to name the second child, not the first name, not the primary name, but the second name, the middle name, should be the name of the deceased sibling. Nice. You got it on one shot. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you named... We named Israel. Israel is Israel's obviously after our. We call him our brother-in-law, though they weren't married yet. But he was definitely he definitely deserves it, you know. (laughs) So, in no words can I describe the feelings that I had the minute he was born. Until that moment, I had no clue how Hashem was going to make it better for me. I said, I understand. Whatever it is, it had to be. How is he going to give me an achama? How is he going to comfort me? There's no way that he's going to comfort me. And the minute I held that baby in my arms, I had an achama. It's an unbelievable thing. But he is, I think anyone who meets him could attest to it that Yisrael Shlomo is a special little boy. He's amazing. Uh, thank you, Hashem. Did you notice right away that he looks exactly like his brother? Was that yeah. obvious? <laughs> I even have a video of AJ holding him. It must have been 20 minutes after he's born, and AJ's holding him, and he says, she reminds me of Shlomo. And I'm like, yes, he does. He, they look so much alike. <laughs> people, people call him Shlomo sometimes randomly, which is his name, which is his right? name, and and then they say they get all uncomfortable. And I'm so sorry, I apologize. They start squirming, and I'm like, you just gave me the best gift. I love it. Yes, he's Shlomo's brother. You confuse them. That's fine. So, so you feel like the second baby. Even though you knew you were going to have a baby, right? But once you were holding him, you felt like the consolation, so to speak. Yes. And I even felt Shlomo's presence in the room when he was born. It, You know, there's some things that you feel and you know and you just can't describe it or explain it because it's not tangible. Shlomo was in that room with me. And I felt him that day so strongly. And I know that he was, he was up there praying for us. Describe to me what happened like a week later, he did a bris. Like that week you're thinking about Shlomo and the brand new baby a lot. Actually, what I remember from after birth was being on a high. I was on a high. Was that like the first it, time you felt that since? I had never felt such a feeling before, ever in my life. What I tell people when they ask me about, you know, losing Shlomo or grief, I say he... He increased our capacity to feel grief, mourning, and sadness. But he also increased our capacity for happiness and for love. And I never felt that more strongly than when I was holding my baby in my arms. And I kept waiting for that to drop. 
it was like this ecstasy. And I, I was waiting to go into a depression or to start crying or to get sad. And it just never happened. It was unbelievable. And after that, I was able to kind of accept and I, and I felt very strongly that Hashem had given us an extra special gift. In Yisrael, Yisrael yeah. Shlomo. In Yisrael Shlomo. And when did you know that you're going to call me Yisrael Shlomo? Oh. Cause I remember I was shocked beyond belief. <laughs> When I heard his name, I was absolutely blown away. I never, I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was Why so surprised. Because I, I never thought that would happen. I'm sure a lot of people were like that as well. <laughs> yeah, you were definitely not the only one. <laughs> Actually, we didn't know what we were having. And I was very anxious to find out. I said, I, I need to come to terms with it, whatever it is. I need to be able to accept it. No. And AJ said, he said, Esther, whatever Hashem gives us, is exactly what he we need. It's exactly what we need. We don't need to find out. And he was very strong about it. And no, again, just for clarification, there's no halachic problem to find out the gender no. of the baby that you're having, but you just wanted right. the suspense. Not the- at all. He he just felt that we had to kind of let it be. And you know when when he was born, and it, so we were we were discussing names. And we discussed naming him, you know, Yisrael Shlomo if it's a boy. And we were, we were toying with it. We were toying with a few names. We start, you know, we had some grandfather's names and, and when he was born, it was kind of, it was a very short discussion. <laughs> it's like, okay, so we're going to call him Yisrael Shlomo. Okay. And then the night before the bris, I got a little nervous. I said, I don't know. What are we doing? This is crazy. But we went ahead with it, and I think it was a good choice. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> now tell me about what happened when Israel Shlomo was 16 weeks. Is that like something that you were – well, were you like reliving in, in any way, even mentally – the experience of having a boy, this beautiful, gorgeous boy, that's exactly spitting image of Shlomo. And now he's at this age and you're kind of monitoring the two, so to speak, in your head, I imagine. And then he's 16 weeks. What's that like? So I have to say that I was very anxious with him. I was always, you know, checking on him and, and I kept him next to me when he was sleeping. And... It was definitely nerve-wracking getting to the 16-week point. I did breathe a sigh of relief when he passed it, which I know from other bereaved moms that that's (laughs) – we all laugh about it. That, you know, if this kid – I had one friend. I have one friend who she – she lost a child at four. And she says, once my child hits four, that's it. They Now they're slated for life. You know, it's it is this – Anxiety until that age and stage passes and there's a certain sigh of relief. I don't know if it makes much sense, but it it is. It's the way it is emotionally. I know I'm not the only one, but yeah, I was definitely relieved once he was 16 weeks old. But do you, do you sometimes think about like, this is what Shlomo would have looked like, you know? So at this point, I can't even relate to what Shlomo would have looked like. He would have been four. But the truth is, is that the way I see Israel Shlomo is that he's, he's a special gift that I, that Hashem sent us after having lost Shlomo. So I see him kind of as, I, I, when I think about it, I remind myself Shlomo wasn't meant to live to be four years old. When he was born, he wasn't going to live to be four. So that's what I tell myself over and over again when that comes up. And it does help me because I, you know, I, I learned to distract myself from thinking about that. 
and I am, I make sure to be ever more grateful that I have a beautiful little boy who's two and a half and Bar Hashem since then, another little girl, Sephora, who is five months old. The most gorgeous child I've ever seen since <laughs> Lowell. Well, she actually, somehow, how come you are the most beautiful children? <laughs> <laughs> you should know, by the way, that people do say that the children that are born after a child passes away have something special about them. This has been said. I don't know the source, but I was told by more than one person that the children that are born afterwards are special children. So I think Sephora looks even more like Shlomo than Yisrael Shlomo does. Is that, I don't know if that was possible. I didn't know that that would be possible, but she needs earrings because. <laughs> <laughs> she looks so, so stunning and so striking. But let me ask you the question that everyone probably is wondering. So you named Yisrael Shlomo mm-hmm. after Yisrael, your brother-in-law, shall we say, and Shlomo after Shlomo. And then you have a daughter and I would imagine that you entertain the possibility of naming her Elisheva after your sister-in-law, AJ's sister, who passed away in that horrific uh, accident, fire. Why do you do that? So that's actually very interesting. And I have to say that my mother-in-law, she is amazing. She's a wonderful, amazing, special person. And she told us for months, before Sephora was born, she said, if you have a girl, I don't let you name her Elisheva. Wow. I don't want you to name her Elisheva. I don't want you to. And that was also actually a big gift for us because we definitely felt that with Yisrael, everyone knew that we had in mind, he was the first grandchild born after the car accident, and we had in mind them as a couple. So he's still the only Yisrael in the Kaplan family. And there are two Elishevas. And we did feel like we were, we were at the point that we can name after one of our, one of my grandmothers who had passed away since. Tsapara, do you, uh, do you relive the night, that awful night often? Do you try to, like you say, su- suppress it sometimes? Yeah, I I could relive it at any given moment. And sometimes I find my mind going there. You know, I'll be laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep, and my mind starts going there, and I tell myself, no. No, because it's bad for me. I don't want to relive it. I don't want to go there. I don't want to bring up those awful emotions and feelings. So I don't let myself go there very often. I do once in a while, occasionally, if I need a good cry. But I I really try not to go back to that. And you could you could relive that with oh, in a such, second. with such clarity. In a second. What about dreams? Um, you mean if I dream about it at night? Cold sweat, none of that. Like I said, I'll just sometimes wake up in the middle of the night like, where's the baby? And I'll just quickly go check on her and, and, you know, AJ wake up and be like, is she okay? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, so why are you still checking on her? <laughs> I just want to get a few good breathes in there before I let go. That's all. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Besides for that, I don't, I don't find myself waking up in a cold sweat, dreaming of Shlomo or. Do you, do you find like with other women, other mothers who have gone through this, that they maybe they need more, they need more therapy or they need therapy and they, and they, they don't process it as well as, as you do? So everyone, everyone really processes in their own way. Every experience is different and every person is different. Everyone's makeup is different. So there's no, there's no right and wrong, really. I think that the one gift that person could give themselves, again, is it just comes back to the same thing. It's just let it be. So 
do, am I personally open to therapy? I am sure. I'm always constantly weighing myself, you know, where I'm holding. Is this good? Is it not good? What's it bringing out in me? I'm definitely open to it. And I keep it at that. Um, I keep myself at a, I think a healthy level of awareness and, and I try to lead a productive life. I have a question about how the concept of Shlomo is in a better place. Shlomo is in heaven. Like he's not suffering. We may be suffering. He isn't. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of, of having a soul that lives beyond the duration of your life here. And the fact that you could, you could bury a, be- a body in the ground that the body is totally lifeless and, and it's a liability really, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it, it's totally, there's no function to it. It's, it's dead. But the soul is even more alive once it's been released from the confines of the body. It's even more alive than it was prior. And the idea of resurrection, which is one of the 13 principles of, of the Jewish faith, yeah. that probably plays a big role in how you process this, at least on, a, on an intellectual level. I don't know how much it resonates on the emotional level, but certainly intellectually, that's, that's probably very helpful. No? 100%. Yes. Uh, there's one thing I have to say is that I experienced the concept of the idea that Hashem gives Hashem, uh, how does it say in, by, um, when Hashem created Adam so that he breathed life into his nostrils. When I saw Shlomo after they declared him, you know, dead and I went in to see him, I suddenly got such a clear grasp of what that meant because he looked different than he had an hour before. And I saw that how incredible that is, how a mother and father give, you know, the body, but it's worthless without the soul that Hashem breathes into every living being. It gives it life. I I can't, I can't explain it in words, but it was something unbelievable. And I don't think I'll ever forget that. So yes, when I say the 13 principles of faith, the Animamins, I know that there will come a day, God willing, very, very soon that we will see the resurrection of the dead. And I, I envision it in my mind, you know, running to the cemetery and just seeing bodies rise up from the ground. And it makes me so excited. And I, I long for it and I yearn for it. And that's, that's something that I, I, couldn't have dreamed of as much as I do now. It's, it makes me so excited. <laughs> well, let me ask you a different question. So I have another follow-up to this. Okay. And this is something that I'm not sure if I talked about in the previous podcast. I haven't listened to it, like I said, in three years. I'm oh, terrified. I'm terrified okay. listening yeah. to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it might be. You think people will be bored if we go through the same thing again? I don't know. Okay. If they are, they could just turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I never met Shlomo. I never saw him, never held him. But kind of his picture is like emblazoned in my mind. And I remember having this feeling. I don't know if I told you. I don't remember. I, like I said, I have not listened to this, uh, to the previous episode that we did. I haven't, uh, since we did it. I'm too scared to listen to it. Mm-hmm. But I remember having this feeling <laughs> that like, I had this almost like this death wish. Because I wanted to spend time with him. Is really? that my crazy? You didn't tell me that. I didn't tell you that. <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, did did you ever feel that? Do you feel like Ugh, I don't want to be here? I want to be with him. At, at the time, 
I, I did want to be with him. I, I didn't, I don't have a, I don't have a death wish. I can't say that. <laughs> uh, but there was, oh, there's always a part of me that's looking out for him, you know, like kind of hoping he'll come to me in a dream or, uh, you know, will visit me somehow. I do feel like he lives on in my children. I definitely feel like they're special gifts that he, that he's a part of. And also, I also do feel that I have a special, I, I have someone up there rooting for me. An ally in important yeah. places. Yeah. Tell me about, uh, his, his gravesite. What was that? What was the experience of going there like? Going to his gravesite, his cover is always a very special experience for me. I feel like I, I'm visiting him in a sense. I really do. And that's when I'll take the time to talk to him. And I know he's making efforts on our behalf, so I'll thank him. And that's when I really, I feel like that's when I connect with him one-on-one. And I like going. How often? Now, you don't live in Israel anymore. You moved back to New York. But when you were there, how often did you go? Uh, about a hundred years ago, there was a plague in Jerusalem and many babies passed away. And do you know about this? No. And the sages in Jerusalem at the time said that mothers shouldn't know where their children are buried because the mothers would go and pray at their children's gravesides and just cry and cry and cry all day and all night. And they decreed, therefore, the parents shouldn't know where their children are buried. And we found out, we were allowed to find out where, where he was buried and we went to visit. And I remember that first time that we went, I said, now I understand why. There's a certain comfort in visiting a child. You understand why the mothers would go? I, no, I understood why. Yeah, I, yeah, I understood why the mothers would go and stay there and not be able to leave. There's a certain pull. You, you feel like if you're leaving, you're abandoning him kind of thing? That was one of the hardest things for me to leave. It was one of the hardest reasons for me to move away. Move away from Israel. Yeah. You feel like if you go back to visit the first place you go from the airport? Probably. Yeah. How soon after he passed did you go visit the... It took me a while. It took me a while. I wasn't ready for a long time. And then... uh, When was it? I don't remember exactly when it was. uh, But it was... It was more than a year after he passed that we finally made our way there. And after that, we were there a number of times. Mm-hmm. Generally on, on special occasions, you know, at, you know, his birthday and his second yard site. But, um, sometimes in between, sometimes it was just the feeling that we had to go. But I knew not to make it a habit, not to go too often. Does it say anything on the... No, if... Yeah. Um... <sighs> I have to bring in my mother-in-law again. <laughs> she keeps telling us, you gotta put up, you gotta put up a... Masaba, or... Which is a, a stone. A tombstone. A tombstone. Yeah. You have to put you have to put it up, and I said, I know, I just, I can't bring myself to. Well, what, what's there now? I, I've never <laughs> Actually, been there. okay, so you're not going to believe this. After a person is buried, they put in a little, like a spoke, a little, oh. yeah, like a little spoke, and and on it is a little sign, and it says the name of the person who's buried there. That's like a temporary, right? Temporary tombstone. until they get the tombstone. For some reason, his is still there. Now he's buried on Haramenuchos, which is, uh, 
big mountain or a few mountains that are full of kvarim. And somehow with all the wind and the storms and the rain over the last four years, that is still there. So his name is there. But for some reason, I can't bring myself to put on a tombstone. I just feel like it makes it so permanent. And I just keep hoping that that he's going to get up from there very soon. So that's where I'm holding with that right now. So mother-in-law says, get a tombstone. You said, not yet. I said, yeah, I will. And I wrote down all the words that I'm going to put in. And I just can't make that phone call. <laughs> but do you ever get angry at God for doing this to you? Did you? Do you still? I did. I wouldn't say that was the overwhelming emotion. There was definitely some of it more, not, I, I, you know, I can't even say it was anger. It was more like just why, why? And I remember, I, I remember I, I asked then, I said, please bring me to a place that I'm able to accept this. And I definitely felt guiding hand leading me to that place where I'm able to accept it. I think that for many people, anger is a very overwhelming emotion. And I think that that's also, again, part of the grieving process and that it's okay. Anger symbolizes a relationship. It symbolizes that you care. So I don't think that that, that that's a problem. I do think that it's something that has to lead to something else. But I don't find the problem with it. What were some of the things that were done to, to memorialize Shlomo? Hmm. So there is a big truck that drives around Yerushalayim to and from Sheva houses that was donated in memory of Shlomo. It is run by Zaka, which is a search and rescue organization in Israel. It was initialized by our friends, the Shapiros. In Yerushalayim, my friend walked in to Shiva the first day and she saw that we didn't have any proper cheers. There weren't, there wasn't a safer Torah to, for the men that would be praying for Shacharis for the morning services. So she said, wait, why aren't they, where is the organization that will bring this stuff? And she called up Miss Askin, which is the American organization that delivers everything necessary to the Shiva houses. And they said, no, we don't work in Israel. And they said, call Zaka. And she called up Zaka, incredible organization. And she said, you know, do you have the necessary items for Shiva house? And they said, we do, but we have them in warehouses and we don't have a way to get them. So people who need them could come pick them up. And she said, well, what if I'm, what if I don't got a truck donated? They said, that'd be great. So... Uh, we do, Baruch Hashem, with a lot of siyata deshmaya, a lot of help from above, we uh, were able to to gather the funds for that. And it's incredible. There's room there for a fridge, and there's room for a for Torah, and there's room for chairs and tables and anything that might be needed in a shiva house. So every time we see it, or every time a friend or family member sees it, they let me know. It definitely connects us and gives us it a very says, warm feeling. So something on the side. Yeah, there's a dedication, which you could I could send to you. You can read it. It's um you know something I wrote. And it's on the driver's door. And it's very heartwarming. Besides for that, there are also people who have uh we have very special friends and neighbors, the Davises, 
who every year on Purim make a learning group in honor and memory of Shlomo. And I've had people who have come over to me randomly, random people even, who come over to me and say, I made a Kabbalah, I accepted something upon myself when Shlomo passed away, and I want you to know that I still do it. And every time, it doesn't cease to amaze me. I mean, uh, for people to so personally connect and take something upon themselves and then to actually be keeping it four years later is very special and very indicative of the incredible nation that we're a part of. Tell me in the audience what has happened since in terms of nice things that people have done or nice comments that people have made, like the one that you just mentioned, but also maybe some well, well-intentioned comments that didn't land properly and that you found to be hurtful mm-hmm. because I am sure you know this, but a lot of people don't know what to say to you. It's certainly not when this thing comes up, maybe they want to inquire or they want to ask how you're doing or they want to, you know, they, they want to reach out. They want to do something positive, but they don't know what to do. So tell me or give us advice on what people who want to be sensitive and, and caring and, and loving and, and helpful and productive, what should they say? What are good things, positive things that people have done? What are bad things to say? What should we avoid it? And what are maybe some examples of hurtful things that were said? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a loaded question. <laughs> Most people just get awkward. <laughs> but really, uh, now that I'm in a much stronger place emotionally and that I'm a little more removed from that rawness, I'm able to see it in a different way. But uh, there were definitely people who just knew how to say that they were thinking about us. I find that when people just say it, it always it's always nice for me. I don't know that that's a blanket statement for everybody. So I just have to put that out there. Say what? Give me an example. Say what? Uh, hey, I just want you to know I haven't forgotten about your slow-mo. Uh, you know, people who will mention the podcast that we did last time, that's also always so nice for me. Anytime someone will mention him to me, I love it. I love it because it means he's still, he's still a reality. It's still part. Over time, many people seem to think that, okay, they moved on, quote unquote. Or, you know, do they still remember him? Trust me, you're not reminding me of anything. I know and I remember and I definitely don't need anyone else to remind me. So that being said, when someone brings it up, it makes me happy because I know that I'm not the only one who remembers. And that's nice. So the things that I did not appreciate when people said were... Um, you know, recommending things that I do or especially like, people like, who like didn't know thing? me well. Like what kind of things do people recommend? Oh, therapy. That was a big one. You know, a lot of well-meaning people were like, oh, did you see someone? Did you speak to a counselor? And although I appreciated the effort, that was not what I wanted to hear from anybody because that's a decision that I and I alone have to make for myself. Especially when people didn't know me that well. It, whether or not on both ends, people who didn't know me and didn't know me, but people who weren't me, I didn't feel had the right to say that. So that was not helpful. And I don't think that anyone appreciates that. No one wants input on something that they weren't, unless of course they're asked about it, but unsolicited advice is not appreciated. So someone says, I'm thinking about you, I'm thinking about your family, I'm thinking about Shlomo. Or like you said earlier, I, I, I've, I've been moved by the story, I've been inspired by the story, I'm inspired by you, and I've decided to do X, Y, or Z. There's no greater gift than someone kicking me than telling me that they were inspired and decided to do something because that, that is a tremendous merit for him and for, obviously for that person as well, but, that's what helps them live on. Mm-hmm. 
Final question. Okay. <laughs> and this is fine. I wasn't organized so well because I feel like, you know, it could be bunched better because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little bit, you know, of a scatterbrain. So you have your, your oldest daughter mm-hmm. and then you had Shlomo mm-hmm. and then you have the next son and then you have the baby girl. What do you tell them about Shlomo? What do you, do they talk about him? Do they, do they ask about him? Do you like, how do you manage that? You know, you saw Shlomo was already old enough to know a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. how does that work? It's a great question. So actually this is something we're always toying with and kind of very sensitive about because we know that Sarah for sure, she was two years old and, and she definitely has some sort of trauma, even though she doesn't remember Shlomo consciously. She loved him. She was a devoted big sister. And then suddenly one day he was gone. So although she doesn't remember the incident, I know that subconsciously it's a part of her. And then of course, nine months later when she lost her aunt and uncle and she was in the room when I found out and I was holding her when I found out that they were killed, she definitely has that. It's a part of her. And when she talks about her family, she actually went to a friend a few months ago for the first time. Uh, and, and the mother called me up while she was there and she said, well, I asked Sarah, who's in your family? And she said, well, Shlomo's in Shemayim, heaven, and Yisrael, and baby Tzipora. And it made me so proud. I just, a tears welled up in my eyes that she, that she was able to just say that because that's what we want. Whenever people ask me, how many kids do you have? I tell them, I tell them about Shlomo because I can't not because he is my child. So even though he's not here with us, he's still my child. So I say, I, I have three here and one in heaven. Like I just, I think <laughs> that's maybe the most graceful way to say it. But with my kids, they, we decided right away early on, he's always going to be a part of our family. He's not going anywhere. His position is what it is. The fact that he was taken from us is sorrowful, but he's always a part of our family. And we tell you, you know, when we talk to Israel, he's still, he is still young to understand it. We say Shalom was in Shemayim. And we are always open to the fact that they may need to hear more over the years. We may need to deal with it differently over the years. We're very open to it and we try to be very aware of how they're handling it. I promised that was the last question, but it's not. <laughs> what could you say just to end off to, to inspire us? Give us some inspiration. Like, like tell us what you've learned and what you could share and what you can inspire us based upon what you went through. I could just tell you what I tell myself. And that's what I've already said, actually but that there's no mistakes in this world. There are no mistakes. We are very small. Anyone who's been on an airplane, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it's not just me, but I, I, that you, you look down and suddenly you have these gigantic mansions that are first, they turn into little matchboxes and then they disappear. And it, it's kind of the way whenever... I'm on a plane and I see that I remind myself, look how small we are. We're just a teeny part of a gigantic world and a very, very big picture. And in as much as each of our lives and stories are handwritten by the Almighty, we're also just a dot. On the, in the scope of the universe. So whatever it is that we don't understand, we have to remind ourselves that it's part of a bigger picture and we're not meant to understand it. There are things that are bigger than us and that's okay because we're human beings. So we're not all knowing and we're not meant to be. So whoever we are, 
we have to know that there's more than what meets the eye. And sometimes we like get little glimpses. Sometimes we have something that happens to us that's, that proves that it's not our show. We're just part of the show. We're little puppets. I think that for me, that's something that I, that I bear in mind all the time. I don't know if that's inspiring. Well, I think it's, it's helpful. It's helpful, but I do think that the way you've navigated this horrific episode, this horrific story of, of your life, I think it is inspiring to everyone who hears it. And it's inspired to me. I'm sure it's inspired to everyone else. And I really appreciate you, you sharing your story and may you, uh, experience no more pain or suffering in your life. Only joy and ecstasy. I mean, and, uh, all your children shall live to be over a hundred. I mean, thank you. And I, and I just want to take a minute to thank you for inviting me to speak the first time and inviting me to speak again, because it's really special for me. And it's really nice for me actually to even have the opportunity to think about all the questions that you're asking. And I hope that you and all your listeners enjoy. Well, thank you. As always, my email address is rabbiwalbajima.com. If you want to send an email to my sister, you can send it to me and I'll forward it to her because she doesn't want all the cooks to email her. <laughs> so email it to me and if you write it for Esther Kaplan, I'll just forward it without reading it. Um, but uh, I'm not going to give out her email here. Because she doesn't want all the insane people, the fan mail to come. Send it to me exactly. On a recent, you can screen it. On a recent podcast, I gave out my cell phone number. So uh, the spam. How's that going? It's great. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and I appreciate Esther for coming for you coming on. This was an amazing opportunity, and thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.